In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection antivirals to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Joshua P. Warren stays with us this hour. He spent 25 years breaking ground in the paranormal. Began publishing at the age of 85. Of course, age 25, he wrote that uh, classic, How to Hunt Ghosts. And uh, in, the, uh, in 2004, he made the cover of the science journal Electric Spacecraft for his work on the mysterious Brown Mountain Lights. And he now re- resides in Las Vegas, where he's uh, building a brand new experimental lab and uh, joining us from his brand new studio. Uh, Joshua... We were talking about uh, some of your metaphysical inventions. Last hour, we talked about the psionic dematerializer, the uh, the bad buster. And um, tell me about the uh, the prayer board, the miraculous prayer board. I have always been fascinated by prayer because prayer is the one form of manifestation that seems to be most embraced by most of the world. Um, what's funny is if I sit down and I start having some kind of a metaphysical conversation with you about how you can manifest things by thinking about them a certain way, some people will be like, oh, that just sounds like a bunch of hooey. But then I say, well, do you ever pray? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're doing the same thing, basically. Um, there are different ways of projecting your thought out there and, and envisioning it shaping reality, whether that means you think your thoughts are literally going to directly shape physical matter and make a change, or if you think that your mind is connecting with the mind of a greater being like God, it doesn't really matter how you envision that. What matters is that people engage in this practice and everybody has stories about how this seems to work sometimes now look some things are 
inevitable. We all eventually have to break down and die, for example. That's just the way it is. But there are a lot of things that we can change if we have the right kind of mindset. And if you've ever said a prayer, if you've ever said a blessing, then you also have to believe in curses, the opposites end of that. And I've always thought it was really intriguing that so many of the cultures around the world for thousands of years have engaged in prayer by putting their hands together. And when you put your hands together, you're quite literally closing a bioenergy circuit. This is a measurable thing because your body is a big electrodynamic machine. You have all kinds of electrical fields around you, especially coming from the hands. And so when you put your hands together as if in prayer, there's something special happening there. I don't know exactly what it is, but it just, it feels right. And it's a very powerful gesture. And people have always felt that this was the appropriate thing to do. So I've always been interested in what what can you do with that? What can you put between these hands here that may somehow enhance this? And then years ago, a guy who is now a friend of mine, he created what he called the miraculous prayer board. And I said, what is that? And this was a very basic type of circuit that you could put your hands on that would enhance basically your prayers and your manifestations. The engineer's name is Tom Vrilock. And I was so intrigued with what he'd made. And it was a big, gigantic thing, though, you know. Um, so I went and I, I flew and I met with him in person. He was living in Wisconsin at the time. And I looked at some of his designs and things. And I said, I want to, you know, experiment more with this. And he was, he's a great fellow. He was happy to have me do all kinds of tests. And I finally contacted him and said, I would like to create my own version of this with your permission. And he said, yes, yes, please, please. As long as I get one, you know? <laughs> so I took what I had learned from what he was doing and what I discovered in the lab. And I turned it into my version of the miraculous prayer board. And this is a, a piece of black acrylic. You can see it's not, it's not very large. It's, uh, oh, I guess maybe like six inches by six inches. Right, right. It's a, it's a square, but it should really be held in front of uh, someone as, as a diamond shape. Right. And there is a, uh, there's a, a copper, uh, well, there's a copper line that goes across the board. And there are a couple other little uh, cop copper rays. And these are absolutely conductive. So for example, if you take a battery and an LED light and you place the battery on one end and the LED light on the other end, it will light up the LED, okay? Ah, so this okay. Is a conductive circuit. This is electrically conductive. So what you do is you put your thumbs on either side of the, the device. These are the thumb plates. And so you're completing that circuit that you would complete when you put your hands together, except now you're completing it through this device. Right, right. In the middle, it encounters two interesting things. First, we have a gold hexagon. This is actual, authentic 18 karat gold. Oh, wow. And so this goes back to what we were talking about last hour with gold being a very special type of yes, um, yes. conductor with metaphysical properties. And then right in the middle of the gold, we have a piece of high quality quartz. And quartz crystal is a natural transducer. And so transducers are able to take an electrical 
uh, field or an electrical current, and they turn it into a physical vibration and vice versa. So that is to say, if you apply electricity to quartz, it resonates. And if you, uh, if you put pressure on quartz, it produces electricity. Okay, that's interesting. Um, it reminds me of, uh, I've seen uh, incidents of ball lightning around railroad tracks are quite yeah. high because you've got the, uh, you know, you've got all that rolling steel wheels on steel tracks. And if there's quartz there, those are the conditions, I guess, to create ball lightning, right? Absolutely. I think at Brown Mountain in Western North Carolina, where we have the Brown Mountain Lights, it has a lot to do with the fact that that mountain is largely composed of what they call cranberry, granite, and quartz crystals. Mm. And you can walk along and you can just reach down and pick up like gigantic pieces of quartz. Uh, there's also a lot of magnetite up there. If you walk around and you drag a magnet on the ground behind you, you'll pick up all kinds of stones. And so um, it's sort of like a big battery or big capacitor. Okay. And so what I think is happening here is that whatever circuit is being connected that would ordinarily be connected through the hands directly is instead passing through this circuit and it is resonating this crystal on some level, which is actually creating a physical transmission, a physical broadcast of some sort. In fact, this is the most basic form of broadcasting. When you were a kid, you probably played around with crystal radios. Sure. Ah, yes, yes. And, you know, it's the same concept there. You know, a crystal radio does not take a battery. Uh, all you need is a coil and the right type of circuit with the crystal and little earpiece. And you can hear the radio without any electricity being involved directly. Now, there actually is electricity, but it's the waves. It's the electromagnetic waves that are producing the resonance in the crystal. So I think it's very similar to that. This is a passive device. And what I decided to do was, okay, well, I hate to reduce everything to gambling, but I am here in Las Vegas. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I occasionally, you know, like, I, I like playing all the different kinds of games. Uh, I do it very moderately. Uh, otherwise, I would have been broke a long time ago, I'm sure. Uh, but some of the mo most interesting games to me are the table games, like uh, roulette or craps, where supposedly you're just up against the laws of physics. Right. You know, if you sit down in front of some electro, uh, like an electronic slot machine or something, I mean, you're, you're always suspicious as to what's going on inside of this computer that has been programmed by human beings. But um, so I like uh, seeing if you can change the odds with a roulette wheel or with a craps table, which is, of course, where you're just throwing the dice. And so um, I, I created this prayer board. I sat down and I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for money or winnings. I mean, we have to, we have to live using that. I mean, so what, you know, I didn't create the system. We all have to have money to live. So exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so I sat down and I said, I, I really want to win a lot of money. And uh, I went into the craps table, played for about maybe a little over an hour. And I won more money than I have ever won in my entire life playing craps. Now, you didn't take the prayer board into the casino with you, did you? No, I took it into my car, and I sat there in the parking lot of the casino, and I meditated with it in the parking lot. Ah, okay. Yeah, and then I went in, and I mean, it was, I, I, I usually don't talk about how much money that I win. My accountant advises me not to do that, but it was, it was thousands and thousands of dollars. Wow. And, uh, and I started with a $100 bill. Um, and so since then, okay, I said, all right, what else can this thing do? 
Now here's what I do, Richard. Every single day before I walk out the door, I keep one of these next to my door. And I just pause before I'm going out the door. And I take a moment, I put my thumbs on it. And I just envision the kind of day that I want to have. And even if it's just for 30 seconds. And I have found that my life is so much more charmed, if you want. It's just like a little ways. Getting a good parking space or having the weather work out your way. Or, I mean, just like little things like that that just make your day so much easier. In addition to some of the big things. Um, I view this as like daily maintenance for for me. You know, stuff like the wishing machine. We've talked about the wishing machine a lot. And the wishing machine... And, you know, this is like a typical wishing machine I've got in my hands right now. What you do with one of these, of course, is you you take what you want to wish for and you place it here on an input plate and then you adjust these knobs and you just let it sit there and you leave it alone for days or weeks or months. So this is good if you have a, a like a big long term project that you want to work on. Right. Uh, you, something really big that needs to be achieved. And it's, it's sort of like it's just sitting there working for you all the time. This is like daily maintenance. So while this is working on the wishing machines, working on big, big issues, big projects, this is just something that you can incorporate into your life every single day. And one of the things that's so great about me having this podcast called Strange Things, which of course is on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, yes. is that I have an opportunity to read testimonials. And I'm not the most organized person in the world so because I just have too much going on. So every time somebody sends me a testimonial, I don't always like print it out and put it in a file somewhere. But every week when I do a new podcast, I'll go back and I'll find just some of the emails that I've gotten and I read them in the podcast. And what you find is that uh, people have every sort of success using these devices that I've created. And I tell people, look, these are experimental devices. You can only get them from my website. And don't buy them if you don't have the money, if you can't afford to experiment. But if you do want to experiment and you buy it, it has a 100% money back guarantee. And so if I put these out there and they didn't work, well, then this would be a very poor business, wouldn't it? Because everybody would ask for their money back. And this would have ended a long time ago. On the contrary, I've sold thousands of these things. And I think maybe five or six times somebody has asked for his or her money back, literally. Maybe that'd be the most. On the contrary, I get these messages from people that are telling me about all these success stories. Now, this brings me a great sense of, uh, of satisfaction in my life because when I'm out there studying weird stuff, the paranormal, the mysterious, I think to myself, what is the point of all this? What am I trying to do here? What's the end result? How is it? How is this going to benefit humankind? And what I figured out is this is how it benefits humankind. If we can go out there to the field and we can see how that these types of energies that are often mysterious manifest and materialize in a real way, and we can tap into that, then we can use that understanding for positive purposes in order to help us manifest good things and create a better life. It's not just always about telling a spooky story around the campfire or going out and getting a thrill Halloween night. Um, What we're talking about here is understanding the mind, body, environment relationship, whether it's spooky or not. 
so that ultimately we can have fun learning. But what we want to do is figure out how we can become better students of uh, manifestation so that we can all improve our lives. And so many people have, have contacted me saying, this stuff changed my life. There was a guy named Jim Kalana, who was a composer who lives near Washington, D.C. And he wrote this big, long letter, said I could read it on my podcast about how his life was falling apart and he, he felt very lost. And, you know, he just went on and on. He read my book, Use the Force. He got some of my devices. His life changed completely around 180. He's now very wealthy. He's very well known. And he wrote an actual like overture, a piece of music called Joshua's Cabinet of Curiosities and Miracles. Wow. What an honor. And, and they performed it uh, last in, in May. They performed it last May live on stage with a symphony orchestra in Washington, D.C. Oh, my Lord. That's amazing. Use the Force of Jedi's Guide to the Law of Attraction is the book. Um, so is leaving the spiritual aspect out of it, is, is this just a method of like amplifying the power of human intention? I think it is in some form. You know, the, the big problem is we don't really know exactly what consciousness is to begin with. Um, and so every single person is unique. Uh, even if you have identical twins, they may have the same DNA, but they don't think exactly the same. They behave in their, in their own unique way. And so every human being uh, is so unique that it's almost impossible to figure out exactly what the common thread is between all of our minds. Um, and therefore, I feel that, you know, what we're trying to do with these devices is say, look, whatever the human mind is, it ultimately is everything to us. It's like Descartes saying, you know, I think, therefore I am. If some scientist goes out there and takes some piece of equipment to try to document some phenomenon, well, you have to realize that piece of equipment was invented by a human, created by a human, built by a human, calibrated by a human. It's being used by a human. It's being interpreted by a human. You cannot take the human mind out of this experience. And so the, the very fact that you and I are sitting here talking to each other right now, seemingly spontaneously, you know, I don't know where this is coming from. None of us knows where this is coming from. It almost seems like that we are channeling information from some other place, which is why I think when you die, the antenna may die, but I, I don't think you die. I think you're still some information that exists somewhere out there. Um, and so I don't know when we use these devices, how much of it is uh, physical from a Newtonian point of view, how much of it is uh, a focal point for us to, to be able to do the most we can with our thoughts, or how much of it may just simply be a placebo effect. And if these things are nothing more than the best placebos in the world, fine. Sure. If it, you know, if it works, it works. That's all that matters. If it works, it works. Yeah, I and just so, I, I thought it might be interesting 
I think there was a it was a institute, a Stanford Research Institute. They did this study with the power of intention and uh, groups of people, and they focused on trying to change the pH level in in water. I mean, it might be interesting to take, um, you know, the uh, the prayer board and and under lab conditions, see if using the prayer board you could do something measurable like the pH balance or something like that. I agree entirely. Uh, in fact, um, I've done some pretty interesting intention experiments. I have one that I, I've tried twice, and it hasn't produced any positive results yet, but um, it's an interesting idea. I, uh, it's called the Genesis Experiment. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm glad you bring that up. I want to, uh, I want to, um, get into that and it's going to, we need a little bit of runway for that. I was actually going to set it up, uh, with a little trivia question and ask you, where is baseball mentioned in the Bible? First few words in the beginning. (laughs) That's pretty bad, Richard. It is bad. It's a dad joke, right? It's a dad joke. They're supposed to be bad. If you don't elicit, you know, a cringe, uh, a look of cringe from your uh, your children, then you haven't done it right. But I'm we will old t- enough that I tell those also. Yeah, <laughs> we will talk about the uh, the Genesis experiment. Let's talk about the uh, the the Genesis experiment. What is that all about? The Genesis experiment really was born from my friendship with a guy who was working in the medical industry. And he got a hold of some of these hermetically sealed bottles of sterile water. This is the type of water that you might use out in the field in a war zone or something like that. If you have to dress a wound and you don't have access necessarily to clean water. And I don't know, I just started thinking, wouldn't it be weird if that's supposed to be sterile, but some kind of life form just spontaneously appeared inside of it. And, uh, you know, if going back to the book of Genesis, it kind of gives the impression, you know, God just wanted there to be life and voila, there it was. And since then, uh, from our experience, everything that we know about living beings or or living organisms, uh, it's it's just uh, one organism has to give birth to another organism. Biogenesis, life begets life. Yeah. And so what I did was take one of these hermetically sealed containers of water and I got onto uh, the first time around, I got on the coast to coast AM and I, and this is, you know, with George Nori and I told everybody here are the GPS coordinates of this bottle. And I want everybody in the world to focus on some form of life appearing inside this. And then I went and I tested it and uh, there was nothing in it. Okay. So last year, I said, okay, I have a much, much bigger audience now, so I'm going to try this again. And so I walked into, so I did the same exact thing, except a lot more people participating. And I took the sample into this water sample uh, company here in Las Vegas, and they asked me what I wanted to test for. And I said, "Uh, well, how do I explain this? (laughs) And so I started trying to tell him like, well, I'm a podcast host and uh, I, you know, I do this experiment with my audience sometimes. And, and this guy who's standing, this scientist, he's looking at me like I'm an alien or something. And and he he goes, you're with coast to coast. AM. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. And he was just on board. There's your ticket. And so he understood what I was looking for. 
And he's like, okay, we can run this test and this test and this test. I wish I had a happy ending for you, Richard. But once again, there was nothing in the sterile water. But that's the kind of thinking here that will get us somewhere. Eventually, we're going we're gonna to work together collectively and we're going to make something happen. Maybe the pH thing is, is a good one for us to do next. Right, right. Yeah, baby steps. Baby steps before we uh, you create a new life form. Uh, <laughs> I was listening to one of your uh, your fairly recent uh, podcasts. I think in May or April you were talking about um, uh, a mutual uh, late friend of ours, Jim Mars, and uh, in his book, Alien Agenda, which came out, what, the late 80s, early 90s, he talks about, um, you know, some of the strange phenomena surrounding the moon. And, um, which got me to thinking years ago, I did a, an interview with a, the co-authors from Britain who wrote a book called who built the moon. And the whole book is just filled with all of these strange, I mean, the moon is described as one of the, 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 uh, the most mysterious bodies really in, in the universe, because, uh, it, the, the, the upshot of it all is it, 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 it almost had to be designed uh, in order for it to fulfill all of these different, you know, things. If it was any further away from the earth, if it was any closer, you know, life would not exist and so forth. So that's kind of the premise of the book. Who built it? You know, was it time travelers coming back, realizing we needed this satellite in close proximity to the earth in order to facilitate life and so forth? Um, so talk to me a little bit about, um, first of all, what Jim Mars had to say about the moon and then some some interesting things that you've you've uh noticed regarding the new moon oh yeah oh boy this is a great subject um for anybody who has never read alien agenda um i mean jim was so far ahead of his time when it came to taking a lot of these bits of information about the moon's strange characteristics and um and picking up on them and and consolidating them and talking about how basically the moon might be something like a big death star uh, a lot of the stuff that he talked about uh, in that book was considered hogwash by the mainstream, and now every bit of it has come true. He said that when the moon is hit by uh, a meteorite, it rings like a bell. That's been proven over and over again. Uh, for the longest time, they said there was no atmosphere on the moon, so there could be no moisture on the moon. He said that there were vapors on the moon. Well, guess what? Now scientists have come around and said, yes, that's true. Holy cow. There are vapors of wind on the moon. There is some kind of an atmosphere up there. And Jim was one of the most interesting and uh, influential people that I ever met. I mean, he, his, his brain was like an encyclopedia. I can't believe how he remembered so much. And we had great times together. I, I knew him very well. I spent the night at his house and he spent the night at my house. And I mean, like he, he was a very, very deep thinker with a a body of knowledge that was unparalleled. And I really wish he was alive right now to tell us what the hell is going on (laughs) because he would, he'd get a kick out of seeing what's happened to the world right now. But anyway, um, I found that a lot of the stuff that he was talking about regarding the moon was especially intriguing because when I was in middle school, my science teacher uh, pulled me out of class. And so I was one of those, you know, kids who was like the little science geek kid. And she introduced me to this man named Charles Yost, who lived in our area. And he was a retired NASA Hall of Fame engineer. 
Um, he was one of the inventors of memory foam, which we now think of as Tempur-Pedic foam that is used on all the space shuttles and stuff. He made a fortune off of that. And he was a, a spacecraft designer on the Apollo missions, including the one that sent men to the moon. Uh, so he wasn't just some, you know, guy in the, the janitor department. I mean, he was a spacecraft designer and he had a laboratory in Western North Carolina, back up in the mountains. He actually, it was, he had a big pyramid on top of it. Um, and he, he was the guy who really taught me a lot about electrostatics and Wimshurst machines and Van de Graaff generators and Tesla coils. And he had all that stuff. And, but he was a very strict scientist, a very no nonsense guy. And uh, I was the one who was always trying to look for an angle between like this ghostly stuff we're, we're seeing in the lab and what people are experiencing out in nature. So I was always a little bit afraid to ask him about things that were too weird because I thought he might think I was being flaky. But one day when I was probably about, I don't know, I wasn't that old. I was probably like maybe 18. I said to him, um, and I'd known him for years already. I said, so what do you think about these people who say that, you know, we didn't even go to the moon or whatever, you know, that's a, you gotta be, you gotta be real careful bringing that subject up to NASA people. Oh, that, that question must've been burning a hole in your pocket for years and years. <laughs> now is the right time. Now is the right time. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're going to, I'm going to take a quick time. out. we'll come back. And we'll, uh, we'll discuss uh, your conversation with Charles A. Yost, Apollo engineer uh, on the other side. Joshua P. Warren stays with us. Joshua P. Warren.com. Back with more right after these. A trusted sponsor of my show, GetTheTea.com, is having their summer sale. Hey guys, let's talk about Father's Day. What kind of gift would you like to give your dad? Why not think about a gift that would help his digestion? Remember, Life Change Tea is an amazing gentle cleanse that he can use daily for gut health. Who doesn't need that? I know I do. I drink it every day. It comes in three different flavors, natural, peppermint, and my favorite, pomegranate. You need to try it. The combination of 12 herbs just does a beautiful number on my insides. Right now, they're having their big summer sale. Buy three, get one free. That's right, buy three, get one free. Life Change Tea is not a fad. They've been around since 2007, helping thousands of people. And it's made right in the USA. It's easy to brew, keep it in your fridge, and you drink it daily. It's summertime, and I always want to have a big glass of iced tea. That's why I drink Life Change Tea. Buy now and get one month of tea for free. Go to getthetea.com forward slash Richard to order yours today. Use the code Richard10 to get an additional $10 off plus free shipping. That's over $50 in savings. Again, that's getthetea.com forward slash Richard and use the code Richard and the number 10, Richard10 for $10 more plus free shipping. Don't miss out. Welcome back. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. All right, Joshua, you were telling us about Charles Yost. This was your mentor growing up. He was a NASA engineer, worked on the Apollo project. Finally, finally, after all these years, you get the, the nerve to ask them the Lollapalooza question. You know, did we actually land on the moon? Yep, yep. So I kind of held my breath. And he, he, one of the things that was really weird about talking to him is you'd ask him a question. And sometimes he would just sit, he'd sit there and look at you or just stare off for like 15 seconds before answering. Very strange man. Uh, just so you know, it's not relevant, but he had a, he had a, a white beard 
no mustache, and he always wore a little black beret. Hmm. He was just, just, out, just an unusual looking man, right? Galway whiskers, I think we used to call those, if you don't have the mustache. Oh, yeah? Yes. Well, yes. that's what he had. And so uh, he looked at me and he goes, I want to show you something. It's like, okay, I hope this is going to be good. <laughs> he takes me into his office, sits me down on the couch. He pops in. I don't, I want to say it was a VHS tape, but I'm not hundred percent sure, but he put some kind of player on. And here I am looking at footage that NASA had shot uh, flying over the surface of the moon. And I can't remember which one of the Apollo missions this was. Um, I'll, and it, I believe it was the one where uh, they talked about, where they read from the book of Genesis. I get, I, can, I get the missions mixed up. But anyway, so from the point of view of the craft that's going over the moon, okay, you're looking down and you see the landscape, the lunar landscape, and it's moving right. by and it's moving by. And you can see Earth in the background. And then at one point there is this object sticking up from the surface of the moon that looks kind of like a black hair sticking straight up. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the camera gets closer. So it's changing perspective. And then right when the camera is about to pass by, it releases what looks like a little puff of smoke or some kind of vapor that drifts for just a second and then it cuts. And he said, you see that little black, you know, hair or whatever? I said, yeah. He goes, to scale, that would be almost 1,000 feet tall. Right, because the, the, the module is shooting it from above as it's flying above the surface of the moon. So it looked like a smokestack sticking from the surface of the moon. Wow. And right as the camera is about to pass over, it releases something. And I said, well, what is that? And he said, you tell me. <laughs> and now he didn't completely ignore my question of whether or not we went to the moon. Here's how he answered that. Let's get back to the smokestack. He said, well, here he goes, well, here's all I say about whether or not we went to the moon. He said, I worked on X, X amount of missions. I worked on all these elaborate projects. And he says, that mission is the only one where everything just went perfectly right it, it almost went too perfectly well so he left it at that but as far as this smokestack is concerned so i said well uh has this ever been put on the internet and he said no i said well may i please put this on the internet <laughs> pretty please <laughs> and uh he said well it's not really mine you know he, he had gotten it somehow but he says it you know it's government footage and it's not classified or anything as far as we knew. So he said, sure, go ahead, put it out there. So I put it on my website and I went on Coast to Coast AM and I talked about this and I don't think I've ever been harassed so immediately and severely as I was in the weeks, dare I say months after this. Yikes. And I, and it wasn't, and I didn't put it out there and make any claims about it. I described it just like I've described it to you. Okay. I don't know what this is. Here's what it looks like. You go and you look at it for yourself and see what you think. Okay. And, and this is also 
some on on one of my web pages. <laughs> um, you could probably just look up Smokestack Joshua P Warren Moon and and find it. I'm not sure. I have too much stuff. Uh, my website kind of looks like my brain. It's a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, the thing is, I mean, like talk about. I never knew that men. I mean, I had heard the Men in Black stories. This is when I got to finally meet Men in Black. Seriously? Uh, oh yes. It, it, it started with the uh, online harassment because basically I had a discussion board back then. And what I found was that every time somebody would post something about this being interesting, then there were a certain selection of people who were supposed to be uh, space experts who would go on and they would rebut it. And what I found was that after days of this, these people never slept. Okay. So it was like 24 <laughs> hours a day. You could leave a comment at four in the morning. There'd be a rebuttal at four thirty. You could leave a comment at you know two p.m. the next day. There'd be a rebuttal at two forty-five. Then I mean, like, so that was weird. It was I got I realized this is not a person or these are not a group of persons. This is a team of people. This this black hair coming out of the surface of the moon, look, which might be or seems to be some sort of a smokestack. Uh, this is in video footage that was. Uh, given to you by your mentor, Charles Yost, who was a NASA engineer, worked on the Apollo project. So this lunar module flying over the surface of the moon sees what looks like a black hair, puff of smoke comes out. Um, you have it up on your one of your websites. At one point, you're on coast to coast. All of a sudden now, you're getting this, you know, tremendous pushback from what appears to be a team of experts, you know, that are rebutting uh, this whole story at all hours of the night. So... Did you ever, you know, meet any of these people eventually? Did they make themselves known? Yes. Um, so within, okay, in less than 48 hours, my telephone stopped working. And uh, I lived out in the country and I had a landline, but um, I'd never had any problems with it before. And so uh, very shortly, I mean, I called and I complained about this and very shortly thereafter, a guy showed up um, who said he was going to fix the phone line. And here's the weirdest thing. Okay, so I answered the door expecting to see a guy there, friendly workman, who's here to fix my phone. As soon as I open the door, he looks at me and he looks down. He never, ever looked at me in the eye after that. And which that's a, it was a very awkward, uncomfortable kind of, because that's, that's not normal. You don't realize that how weird that is until somebody does that to you. Right. Either someone who maintains too much eye contact or someone who doesn't look at you at all. Those are, yeah. He would not, he would not look at me. And I said, what's going on? uh, Do you think? And he was kind of mumbling around and he was saying some stuff that wasn't making a lot of sense to me. And at that point, you know, I was obviously suspicious and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I looked down at his, at his hands and he did not have a lineman's hands. You know, they, you know how guys are who climb up telephone poles. Sure. <laughs> you can, they got a little wear and tear on those hands. So he was acting real evasive and very strange. And I was like, I, I just got this very bad vibe. And so anyway, he goes off and God knows what he does. And then after that, you know, again, he comes back. And doesn't look me look at me and says, it's, everything's working fine now. And he gets in his truck and he drives off. Okay. So uh, sure enough, everything was working fine. Well, the next day, 
I went to make a phone call and I picked up my phone and there are two people talking on my phone line. We used to call that a party line. <laughs> this wasn't a party line. No, this was just my regular phone. I mean, there should have been a dial tone. Yeah. Instead, I pick it up and there are two men talking. And one of them is, says something about an airplane. And then one of them says something about uh, some other person's name. And, and I, I, it wasn't anything that was standing out in my mind because I'm just like, what am I hearing here? And I said, hello. And then all of a sudden, they shut up really fast and click. And that's when I realized my phone has been tapped here. Mm -mm. And we know in retrospect, that was very common, especially, you know, this would have been, I guess, when like George W. Bush was the president, you know, post 9-11 kind of, kind of period of time, I, I'm, I'm presuming. And uh, so, because uh, it took me a while before I actually had the nerve to post some of this stuff on the internet. And uh, then the men in black showed up. Uh, the first time I, okay, this was, again, probably within that 48-hour period. I went to uh, Denny's, and it wasn't like in the middle of the night or anything. And I went into a Denny's with a friend, and we sat down. And a couple of minutes later, a couple of men came in, and they weren't literally dressed in black. But the weird thing is, is they both had, and I noticed this when they walked by, they both had big, thick, uh, unusual-looking black wristwatches on. Hmm. And they had the you know kind of short, cropped hair. Right. And they went over and they sat in the booth right next to us. And after that, for about a month, I would go, anytime I would go to a restaurant or a bar, I would look over and see one of these guys with the big, thick black wristwatch. Mm. That was the common denominator. And I always thought to myself, I thought, you know, James Bond is supposed to be slicker than this. You're supposed to have some <laughs> little like hidden microphone somewhere or you slip a an olive in my martini that's going to broadcast the conversation. But no, I mean, I don't know what technology I've never looked into it, but obviously I guarantee you somebody out there knows they, they would use some kind of black wristwatch thing, chunky looking thing. And this went on. So the, the online harassment was going on. People were telling me that uh, I was, uh, you know, every reason that I'm just a, a, a hoaxer and a, charlatan who's trying to just push some kind of conspiracy theory you know and then 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 i got my phone tapped and i got the guys following me around and then after that i was like you know i'm not going to talk about this anymore because for, for one thing i don't have anything else to say about it that's all i know about it and um it sort of it kind of like fizzled out and now um i feel like that i could go out there and, and give this same information today and nobody would care because there has been so much disclosure since then. Right. Um, but let me just tell you this in a nutshell, Richard. Um, none of us knows for a fact, but my gut tells me that the moon is some kind of an artificial craft. And if anybody can, can go out and study just why and how the moon is so different from, from Earth. And, and like you said, almost any other moon that's out there in the universe. And uh, there's too much mystery around it and too much weirdness for me to think that it belongs there. I, I think it, if it's not some kind of a craft, it was converted into some type of a craft. And it really is sort of like a big Death Star. And the irony is we're out there searching for UFOs every day. And there's a giant one every single night <laughs> right above your head. 
a great movie on Amazon Prime I just watched the other night with the mighty Aphrodite called Moonfall, uh, which is sort of about that. Uh, so people can check that out. Uh, we just have a couple minutes, and I just I wondered if if there's time. About ten years ago, you wrote, um, or more than ten years ago, I guess now, the poor man's paranormal. Um, what was it? A poor man's paranormal. It's a handbook. Yeah, it's like a how-to guide, and it, you know yeah. how to use everyday household 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 items to you know document a paranormal activity. Uh, can you share one quick one with us? Why, sure. Um, one of the easiest things that you can do if, uh, let's say you want to look for UFOs is, uh, just take a, an AM radio out with you. Uh, they're becoming less and less common all the time, but take an AM radio out to a place where there might be a UFO or, or sightings have been occurring and put it on a, a blank station. A lot of times when there's a meteor shower, when meteorites fall, you can hear interference and static when the meteor comes through the atmosphere. Same thing with the UFO. With UFOs, you can pick up interference on the radio. And in fact, there's a, a poor man's radar, you might say, where you can take an AM radio and take it up to a, a hill near your house if you live in that type of terrain. And then you scan through and you see all the stations that you can pick up. And then you bring that radio back to your house and you tune it somewhere where you couldn't pick up a station. And if all of a sudden you can pick up a station, then some large object may be flying through there that's helping that signal to bounce uh -huh. off poor man's radar. You can take just, of course, a simple compass and walk around your house to see if there's an electromagnetic deviation. A lot of times if there's a ghost, it's accompanied by an electromagnetic field. A compass should always point north. If not, it's being affected by something magnetic or metallic. If it starts to spin or act weird, there's probably something ghostly happening there. Take a fluorescent light bulb. Just hold it in your hand with no wires connected to it. Walk around your house. If all of a sudden it lights up in your hand, there's an electrostatic charge that's built up. And these are ways you can detect ghosts as well. Fantastic. All right, jo Josh, time flies. It's always so, so much fun talking to you. I learned so much. I have uh, a great time. Thank you so much for this. Hey, it's always an honor. Thank you, Richard. Joshua P. Warren, joshuapwarren.com. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.